Dee Dee Moonflyer here. Welcome to the Twilight Tonic Podcast. As always, I have a freshly brewed batch of the strange and unusual to share with you. So grab your favorite tonic, step inside the broom closet, and let's get started. Tonight on Twilight Tonic, as always, we have some of the most amazing guests. And one of the things that have fascinated me for years is the Mothman. And tonight I have Steve Ward. And he's amazing. He He's going to answer all my questions about Mothman and other phenomena. How are you tonight, Steve? I, I'm doing pretty good, except for my my <laughs> problems with, as I've told you before, with the uh, the drain in the basement. But we won't uh, uh, we won't bother people with that uh, situation. <laughs> Old houses. Yes. So, Steve, tell me a little bit about your background. Um, I know you didn't start off doing Mothman. What drew you to UFOs, Mothman, Bigfoot, any of that stuff? What sparked all this? Well, early on, I think in the middle 60s, and of course, all you kids out there remember the 1960s, uh, I was uh, I was living in Michigan uh, in the Detroit area. And like so many of us, I was uh, when I discovered UFOs, I, I went to my local uh, library, which actually was Ferndale, Michigan, uh, just north of the Detroit area in Michigan. And uh, I would take out any book I could find that had anything remotely connected to UFOs. And uh, in, uh, in March of 1966, we had an amazing wave of UFO sightings in, in uh, well, all over south, southern Michigan mm-hmm. and actually other parts of the Midwest. And a lot of very uh, credible uh, uh, police officers and other individuals saw strange craft flying in the skies. There was in, in Dexter, Michigan, there was the uh, Frank Manor Farm where they actually saw something, a metallic object land on the property. And uh, that was pretty fascinating for a kid that was in junior high at the time. Of course, I couldn't drive, so I couldn't pretend I was a UFO investigator. <laughs> but uh, this was all over the media at the time. Yeah. And, and how cool is it that the aliens are virtually landing in your backyard? Well, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and you may remember that name, he was, uh, at the time, he was attached to Project Blue Book. Mm-hmm. That was the Air Force's um, organ to 
uh, investigate uh, UFOs. And a lot of people thought it was more of a a sort of a public relations ploy and not terribly serious about investigating UFOs. But Dr. Hynek, after a period of time, after being a skeptic, he started to believe that there really was something to this. Mm -hmm. And so he was uh, sent to Michigan. Actually, originally, <laughs> he, he asked them, he asked the uh, the government in Project Blue Book, do you want me to go to Michigan and, and check this out, all these in, incredible sightings? And they said, oh, no, we haven't had any, any, any requests or anything like that. And then Gerald Ford, who later became president for a while, he was a senator at the time, mm -hmm. was pretty incensed that some very credible people were reporting these things and the the and project blue book didn't seem to care one whit so the next day they sent out dr j allen Heineck and he he went to the frank manor farm and other places now he was still he still had to kind of straddle the fence a bit because he while well, he began to believe there was really some substance to some of these reports he was still tied to the air force and they want to wanted him to kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, quiet the fires, so to speak. So there was some uh, there was some uh, ladies from a, it was, then it was an all-girls, all-women's uh, um, college mm -hmm. in Hillsdale. And they had seen some strange lights moving through the trees. And he suggested that some of these sightings in Michigan might be swamp gas. And of course, the news media went crazy that was the solution to the ufo mystery and uh the swamp gas sighting uh, jokes reverberated for many 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 decades <laughs> and it was it's just as a side note 10 years later i got to see dr Heineck at the 1976 mufon symposium his his talk at the time was swamp gas plus 10 and counting mm -hmm. And he talked now, by this time, he had started the Center for UFO Studies. He was separated from the Air Force and the government and uh, was doing some really good work. And his talk was uh, uh, was very substantive, but also a bit humorous because he reflected on those days of 10 years before of the swamp gas era. So uh, that was very cool. Now, that was a major that that that. Uh, um, period of time in the middle 60s was was very very influential for me i had read books mm -hmm. by uh uh i don't know if you're familiar with frank edwards wrote these great anthologies back then of a stranger to science and strange world mm -hmm. he talked about the kelly hopkinsville goblins the flatwoods monster and a lot of these classic sightings right well it was still 1966 a few months later november mid-november Two couples were chased by a winged humanoid out of the what they call the TNT area, nine miles north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And later on, this whatever this was was dubbed the Mothman. Well, heck, you know, you had November and with a wave of UFO sightings. I mean, I mean March with a wave mm -hmm. of UFO sightings, and November with a wave of these winged humanoid sightings this, with red glowing eyes. Um, and that, I guess, that really uh, set me on a course for where I have ended up today, several decades later. I have been absolutely fascinated by the, these different types of phenomena, especially these areas like Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and so many others, like the Skinwalker Ranch, for example, mm -hmm. where all, a, a lot of different types of phenomena seem to occur that 
one normally we don't think are connected like cryptids ufos poltergeist phenomena and so forth so i guess uh i guess that year of 1966 uh unbeknownst to me at the time has has really set me on my course for the rest of my life interesting in in the mid 60s in a little bit later 60s in the 70s there was a lot of sightings everywhere if i remember what i read um my mom was from New York State, and she saw a UFO driving between Potsdam and St. Clair, New York. Her and another couple pulled over. What did it look like? Was it a, one of the triangle type, or was it something else? It was a cigar-shaped. Okay. And she said they all got out of the car, looked, and then they looked at each other, and it was gone. And she was pregnant with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might explain a lot, huh? Yeah. <laughs> But it's really interesting that you said in those time periods, there was a lot of sightings everywhere. Well, you know, in, in 1973, they called it 1973, the year of the humanoid. And a mm -hmm. man that I met in, in when I saw Dr. Heineck in 1976, I met uh, Dr. Uh, Webb. Um, James Webb, was it? Um, he wrote a book called 1973, Year of the Humanoid. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of landings and a lot of claims of these humanoid reports. Now, this is what uh, Dr. Hynek, now he, he wrote the book, uh, The UFO Experience. And he's the one that established these close encounter categories. Mm -hmm. Close encounters of the first kind were uh, the sighting of an object within, uh, what was it, uh, 500 to 600 yards uh, a metallic object, a second mm -hmm. kind, had to deal with an object that left some kind of physical traces. It could be anything from landing marks, burn marks on the trees or whatever, and even something like uh, eye burn, like conjunctivitis on the individual. And then the third kind was where they saw the craft, but in, in conjunction with some kind of a humanoid-type figure. And there were allegedly many, many uh, reports of these type of landings. That that was when the the famous Pascagoula incident took mm -hmm. place. Uh, the the two fishermen in Pascagoula, Mississippi, in '73, uh, were they uh, thought they were abducted aboard a uh, some kind of a craft, and the entity seemed almost like oh I don't know uh, androids or they, they looked like aluminum foil entities somehow. But uh, there was a whole wave of these things that went on then. Now, I have to tell people, this is this is uh, quite a time before the greys seem to come in and take over. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting thing that the greys didn't seem to show up in mass anyway until the late 70s and early 60s. Uh, you could find a grey now and then early on in the old days. But uh, if you read the, the books of uh, Jim and Cora Lorenzen, for example, they uh, they had a very serious organization called APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, and they wrote these great books that I read as a kid. Um, um, let's see, the uh, Flying Saucer Occupants, for example, and other ones, and they chronicled all these bizarre, you know, everything from from Flatwoods to uh, mm -hmm. the Cisco Grove incident in California to Pascagoula, and on and on. So it's it's very interesting the way that the uh, these reports and manifestations, if you will, seem to actually change and evolve over the decades, and that there may be something significant behind that. 
Yeah, I I often wonder that because you're right. When the Grays came out a little later, even though there were reports, they didn't seem to dominate like they did in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Well, they, they, they started to dominate in the late 70s, early 80s mm-hmm. with the advent Absolutely. of Close Encounters of the Third Kind film and the early 80s, uh, Whitley Strieber's yep. Communion mm-hmm. with that striking image on the on the cover of that first uh, book. Which scared me to death. Really? Oh, I was so afraid of those things. (laughs) (laughs) And the spooky part is, I remember grocery shopping, and the book fell into my grocery cart. Oh, that's... uh... That may be a sign, good or bad, I don't know. Oh, it scared me. It, that book scared me to death. So what do you think Mothman is, Steve? Do you think it's of of this planet? Do you think it's a UFO? Do you think it's dimensional? Do you think it's always been here? Well, this that that is the question. Now, I, I am someone that when when I give talks these days, one of my premises is that we must listen to the individual that had the experience. Of right. course, we're always trying to qualify them. You know, are they credible? Uh, have they seen something that might be mundane that they've misinterpreted? But if, if we do that, if we use that criteria, now back in the middle 60s, John Keel, who authored the Mothman Prophecies, came down and, uh, in the, well, he was the uh, first uh, major sighting not the first sighting, but the first major sighting took place in uh, November 15th of 1966. The Scarberries mm-hmm. and the Mallets were chased down Route 62 from the TNT area down into Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The TNT area was, was a, uh, it's a McClintic wildlife area now. It, uh, it used to be, back in the 40s, it was an area where they made munitions for World War II. But back in the, by the 60s, it had been, everything had mostly been abandoned. So it had become kind of a lover's lane, a very desolate area. So they, that's when they saw this six to seven foot winged entity with red glowing eyes, and it chased them into town. Um, they, uh, uh, now later on, now, now during that year, between November 66 and December 67, that's when the Silver Bridge collapsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Keel came down. He chronicled a little over 100 sightings. And generally speaking, people saw the same thing physically. Not always. There people, some people saw something like just a big, a very large bird or whatever. Uh, Tom Urey, one of the original witnesses, essentially saw a thunderbird. He did not see the Mothman, per se. Mm-hmm. Now, the Mothman, the, my answer is the Mothman was a paradox because it's uh, six to seven foot tall. Humanoid in, in appearance. Mm-hmm. It uh, had a, maybe a 10 foot wingspan. Uh, it didn't always flap its wings. It would put its wings behind it sometimes and take off straight like a helicopter. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't make sense in a biological sense. Right. Uh, Connie Carpenter was one of the, the original witnesses. She was uh, passing by the Mason County golf course. She saw this thing standing out there with these. Uh, striking red glowing eyes and when it took off it went off off straight like a helicopter the next day she had experienced conjunctivitis eye burn now this is something that takes place in uh with uh so many people that uh see ufos and so forth or strange lights in the sky 
John Keel discovered that many people that whether they just they were having an a, a cryptid experience or a classic UFO experience, many of them suffered from the same physical ailments, conjunctivitis, um, uh, muscle ache, uh, and uh, thirst, and so forth. So that's kind of interesting that that same the the same physical effects occur with uh, different seemingly different types of of phenomena. Now. Um, there, there's several other uh, experiences that that don't jive. You know, if you're trying to look for a physical explanation, or even a uh, the uh, maybe an apparition, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Many people that saw the Mothman went home afterwards. John Keel discovered this, and also a man, a, a Swedish researcher named Franza, that followed Keel in a year or two later. Uh, found that people that saw this thing had an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena in their home. Mm, you know, how do we sense. reconcile that? Um, Keel also had a, a few reports of people that were in close proximity with the Mothman, but it sounded like it was giving off something mechanical or some kind of a humming or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> were wow. you dealing with a, a 1960s drone? I don't think so. Yet he, he, he saw some strange footprints near the old uh, North Power Plant, but it was seen suggesting that the, uh, that, you know, he also saw these, like, these in, in different areas where this uh, phenomenon occurred, uh, large dog-like footprints that seemed like whatever it was was very heavy, two to 300 pounds, with the way it uh, impressed uh, uh, footprints into the ground. And this is long before the dog van phenomena was being talked about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and it's funny, this is kind of an aside here, but his colleague, uh, 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 Ivan Sanderson, who, uh, friend and colleague, who is probably best known for the book, The Abominable Snowman, Legend Come to Life. And he also wrote many other great books on the unexplained and UFOs and so forth. Uh, he told Keel, he says, you know, We've been, been finding out that these large dog-like footprints are being seen in in these uh, paranormal hotspots. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's that's mentioned in the Mothman prophecies, but we don't have any more information. You know, no more, no no explanations or no examples of of where, which is kind of frustrating. And uh, I, I talked to a, a man in, uh, well, he was a, a former. Uh, professor at Wayne State University in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And he was investigating Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings in Michigan. And, and when he gave his talk at a, in a Michigan MUFON meeting, he said the same thing. He said, you know, we keep finding these large dog-like footprints in these paranormal hotspots. And I thought, holy, you know, and then I talked to Linda Godfrey, who was, uh, you know, we lost last year, unfortunately. Right. But she was this great, great researcher into the dogman phenomena. She essentially told me the same thing. So here we have, this is an aside, certainly, but we have uh, four researchers separated by half a century, all telling us that these large dog-like footprints keep showing up in these paranormal hotspots. What the heck does this tell us about what is going on? Right. And, uh, you know, so, so bizarre. But anyway, to continue with your question, there's a couple other aspects. There was a, uh, uh, as to the, the, you know, what the Mothman was. Uh, 
Pat Gray and her husband, Reverend Gray, one night, now they lived in Point Pleasant, they had this bedroom invader, this bedroom apparition, mm -hmm. which looked like the Mothman, six, seven foot tall, this apparition in their bedroom, red glowing eyes. And they looked at it in a very uh, Christian slash demonic invasion context. And then the next day, they were they were headed off to go to, uh, they were missionaries. Mm -hmm. They went, I forget the name of the country they went to, but they were there for several years. They, this is when the Mothman stuff was breaking. They had no idea what was going on. They came back several years later, started talking to their friends and looking at newspaper articles and, they, and thought, holy, this is what we saw in our bedroom. This creature or whatever was mm -hmm. a, essentially a, a uh, bedroom apparition. And then here's something else to throw in, uh, another wrench in it. There was a, John Keel talks about a, a, a man, uh, a, a, uh, an official, uh, Point Pleasant official, uh, and uh, not named, but he walked out on his front porch during this time period in the middle 60s, and he sees this thing standing on his front lawn. And then he goes into, a, I guess, a trance or whatever, but the point is he loses about 10 or 15 minutes of time, and then this thing takes off when he, when he comes to, to consciousness again. So what, you know, what John Keel could not tell you what the Mothman was. He used, right. he used a term he borrowed from Ivan Sanderson, ultra-terrestrial. And all that was, it was kind of, he said it's, it's a literary device. He said he thinks that much of this stuff that we're dealing with may not be from off-world or other dimensions per se, but they are natural conditions of the planet. We just don't understand what they are. Oh. So my answer to you what was the Mothman? I have no idea what the Mothman was. Wow. I I find it so interesting, like you said, when people see see Mothman, when they see UFOs, when they see Bigfoot, there is always poltergeist, spiritual yes. things happening to them, or they become extremely intuitive. I find well, that interesting. Well, you know, Ron Moorhead mm -hmm. was the uh, is a, a a major Bigfoot researcher. He did all kinds, of, spent all kinds of time in the Sierra Nevadas. He's the one that captured the Sierra sounds, these yeah. incredible recordings of of Bigfoot that have been analyzed by all kinds of uh, skeptics and researchers that believe that there was really is something substantive to that. When, I, when he was out there, you know, he was starting to experience some pretty weird stuff. And he said in some of his talks that he was out there originally with a man named Alan Berry. Mm -hmm. Alan Berry was a skeptic and, and a reporter. But after a period of time, he became to realize there was really something to this. But he did that when, when as, as the paranormal stuff hit, so to speak. I mean, they would see strange lights in the sky. Their batteries would drain for their uh, recorders and their cameras. He did not want Ron to broadcast that initially because mm -hmm. his idea was it was so hard to convince people that there was really some kind of phenomenon out there. Bigfoot is a reality that he did. You know, he didn't want to give people the I don't know the opportunity to have another layer of ridicule piled on top of the the, the the normal ridicule, I guess, right. but but he apparently he passed on at some point 
And then Ron felt more, uh, Ron Moorhead felt more comfortable to come out and say, well, yeah, they were experiencing this other bizarre phenomena. And, and Ron was a guy that really thought that Bigfoot was uh, uh, simply an undiscovered entity, a, a, a creature. And uh, the thing is, as uh, you may be aware of, that there's so many situations where, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Stan Gordon and the uh, research he's done in, uh, in Pennsylvania over the years, southwestern Pennsylvania, covered in the, uh, oh, come on, what's his book? Um, but it'll come to me. Um, uh, he, uh, it was 73, 74, a bizarre wave of Bigfoot sightings. I mean, people would shoot these things sometimes. They would disappear in a flash of light. Wow. Uh, but seen in conjunction with uh, strange lights of the sky and things that seemed like they might be actual craft of some sort. But, uh, yeah, there's just so um, that that's the thing that uh, really that I focus on are these areas where different seemingly different types of phenomena all take place in the same area. And I'm very fascinated by patterns, uh, connections, mm -hmm. parallels from uh, different what seems to be different types of phenomena, but also different uh, time periods and different places on the planet where these right. patterns seem to exist. It's really interesting that it goes in waves. Yes. Like you hear of a lot of sightings in Ohio. You hear a lot of sightings in a certain time period in New York State, California. And it seems to go in constant waves. Pennsylvania, West Virginia. It's really, really interesting. Well, let me, let me give you a bizarre example. I, I talked a little bit about it. It's a Silent Invasion is the mm -hmm. book that... Uh, that uh, Stan Gordon chronicles all this bizarre activity in the early mid seventies uh, with uh, cryptids and strange uh, craft in the sky. Well, if you go back to 1897, um, this was a great article that was written in Pursuit magazine in the seventies. I think Pursuit was actually uh, published by uh, uh, um, Ivan Sanderson's group called the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's this great article where they talk about the, you've heard about, I'm sure, the 1897 airship sightings. Oh, yeah. These yeah. majestic uh, airships that seem to fly through the skies, uh, uh, sort of dirigible-like, but certainly ahead of our technology at the time. Well, in, uh, I think, uh, Mid-April to mid-May, 1897, Ohio, these, uh, this craft or these crafts were seen sort of circumventing Ohio and, and clockwise, hitting different towns in, in, in different time periods. Uh, I don't know if it was the same craft or different. But on the ground, people were also seeing cryptids of some mm -hmm. description Yeah, uh, in uh, Adams County where the uh, serpent mound is, they yes. were seeing what they were calling a wild man. Now, today, they would call it a Bigfoot, but they were seeing this thing in, in that same area. Also, in some other parts of Ohio, they were seeing these large black panthers. Uh, I think the Chillicothe area was one, and there were some others. So it's just interesting that here it is, almost uh, uh, 70 years earlier, they're seeing some kind of technology, I guess, in the sky ahead of our abilities 
But on the ground, they're also seeing these cryptids. And the pattern seemed to repeat itself in Pennsylvania in the early 70s. So that's the kind of thing that fascinates me. You know, uh, of course, we, we never know for sure what stories are hoaxes or fabrications or whatever. But uh, that's, uh, you know, the John Keel talked about window areas. And uh, in window areas weren't simply areas where things seem to show up, you know, and, and, and scare the hell out of people. <laughs> and then they're gone. Uh, but he said that in those areas, if you go back in time, you'll find that there were other phenomena occurring in that same general area. Sometimes, uh, um, I guess I could give another example, uh, in, uh, David Wales, Southwest Wales back in, uh, 1977, there was a family named the Coombs family and they were living in a trailer on the, uh, near the, uh, the ocean. And they were having a, experiencing a poltergeist phenomena in, in their house, mild poltergeist phenomena. But they also would look through their window at night, and every night at about 10 p.m., they would see an apparition of the Virgin Mary. And wow. then in, in, in flowing robes with a rosary, and then after a period of time, it would morph into an image of Jesus and then fade away. And many hundreds of people saw this, you know, so what, whatever this actually was. And then later on, they had, they started running the, uh, the farm, the Riverson farm in the same general area. Well, during this time period, if you read the Dubba Digma by Holiday and Pew, uh, it was a, a three ring circus of the paranormal. Landings, egg-shaped objects, seven-foot-tall silver-suited beings, uh, orbs, uh, little little guys that came out of the same mm -hmm. kind of craft that looked like leprechauns for crying out loud. Oh my gosh! But but so they on their farm they started experiencing all kinds of stuff, landings and so forth. So here you have this sort of a window area where they're experiencing everything from religious projections apparitions i don't know uh to classic bizarre ufo phenomena i mean some of these uh, silver suited beings were translucent some of them could leap over fences and so forth um it, and also the it's interesting and I, I know i'm going off on all kinds of tangents no, but it's interesting. Holiday, <laughs> and holiday found that there were so many things that where there were there seemed to be parallels between uh classic traditions of folklore and modern day UFO experiences, which is what something Jacques Vallée went in his book, uh, Passport to Magonia. Mm -hmm. He's one of the ones that really kind of uh, opened that tradition where you have so many uh, modern day UFO experiences that if you look back in time, you think, oh, my God, this is kind of a parallel to the the beliefs in the elementals and the leprechauns mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, for example, in, in Dubbed, people that were in close proximity with these uh, seven foot tall silver silver beings, they would they would under they had some kind of a um, uh, dermatological condition uh, on their skin. And if you go back in time, there was something called elf burn. Uh, huh. Elf disease, where if you were in close proximity with the elves, you would have this this dermatological condition. Now we can't prove it's the same thing, right. but it's just very interesting. And I, I mentioned before that some of these entities were like seven foot tall, 
silver-suited beings that would peek in windows and so forth oh. and, and freak people to heck. <laughs> Man, it freaked me out. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, don't but like window peepers. <laughs> they were also seeing these little three foot tall. This one young lady, she woke up. She was this flashing light through her window. And she saw this entity about three foot tall with curved eyebrow, with uh, slanted eyebrows, a curved nose, looking just kind of like, I, I guess, we, what we would think as a, uh, a leprechaun or a fairy or something. But uh, also people were seeing these things in proximity with these, these silver egg-shaped objects that were connected with the, the uh, seven foot tall silver suited beings. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a great uh, book. There's several books written about that time period. And um, there's just so many, um, so many, there was another series of encounters toward the end of the seventies, early eighties chronicled by Jenny Randalls. Jenny Randalls is a, was, was a, well, she's still with us. She's a phenomenal, has always been a phenomenal British researcher. She's the one that, uh, that uh, came up with the term uh, the Oz factor. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not, yeah, but people people talk about where everything goes suddenly quiet, mm-hmm. and uh, there, there's something kind of uh, reality seems to be uh, turned off or or something. But that, that was her term, uh, the Oz factor. Well, she wrote this great book with Paul Whitnall called the called Alien Contact, mm-hmm. and it had to do with the. Uh, the Sutherland Sutherland family, and they had a whole series of amazing physical contacts and also dreamlike contacts with a series of entities. And when you're going down the road and try and and, and, and sort it out and figure out what was going on, you end up uh, I don't know you end up in the median somehow and mm-hmm. don't know what what you're doing. Um, it's uh, you know it makes me think of. Uh, uh, the gentleman that wrote the Mothman Prophecies screenplay, um, and then his name just fell out of my head, unfortunately. <laughs> it'll, it, it'll come to me. But he said that, you know, uh, when when I got into this, he said that uh, I was going to solve the mystery. You know, I was, was really going to get deep into it. And the more he got into it, the more he – it was like he couldn't understand – the more it went down many roads – uh, and, and other pathways, and it was wasn't something he could actually figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Beckley, mm-hmm. uh, another we, he was known as Mister UFO. We lost him last year yes. at this great publishing company. He said in an old interview, basically that whatever this is we're dealing with, uh, it it doesn't matter. It goes on being whatever it is, regardless of all of our learn papers and, and endless tomes and all our opinions. It just keeps being what it is. And there are times when I, I use this in my talks where, you know, the, the Red Queen and Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. she tells tells <laughs> Alice that, look, if you're going to get anywhere, you're going to run faster and faster. And Alice is running as fast as she can, and the trees are staying in the same place. That's kind of what I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to understand, trying to put all this together. So uh, it's, uh, it, it is endlessly fascinating. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Mothman phenomena, there wasn't just the people weren't just seeing this 
this creature or entity. There were strange lights going overhead yeah. all the time. There was a men in black phenomena. There was missing time. There were animal mutilations. There was a men in black phenomenon. So, uh, you know, here I am living in the midst of, uh, of all that, uh, of what happened before. Doesn't seem to be too much going on right now. I think I'm relatively safe as an investigator, <laughs> but, uh, but who knows? Do you think that they're all, well, obviously, they sound so intertwined? Yes. Um, the, it's, I don't know why, I don't know how it all fits together. But uh, it, it wasn't, you know, a lot of uh, researchers uh, look at these things as something separate and they go about their way looking at maybe Bigfoot or UFOs or whatever. And that's fine to specialize in certain areas. But I, 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 I'd like to tell people that if you're, if you're uh, alert, you know, these, these patterns, you don't have to imagine them. You don't mm -hmm. have to force them. Um, okay, let me, can I give you a wild, a wild example of patterns that, oh, that uh, okay. Um, we're, we're all familiar with uh, vehicle stoppages with UFOs. I mean, there's this just dozen, well, probably hundreds of examples of uh, people are driving along. They see some kind of a strange craft or light and their car stalls. And then the light goes away and their car is fine normally. Mm -hmm. Well, there's other situations where cars stall. In the 1960s, a woman named Dorothy Strong was driving in North Cumberland, England. She's in a taxi cab. And all of a sudden, the taxi cab stalls. The fare meter goes crazy. And uh, they feel like they're being, uh, the, the driver and Dorothy feel like they're being hit by some kind of a force field. And so they look and they see what's, what's going on. It, it, it's like a phantom army has manifested and marching toward them. And as these soldiers or whatever get close, they just fade away. And they can see these insignias and so forth on the uniforms. And it turns out that this is not the first time that this Phantom Army has appeared. It's the Battle of Otterburn from 1388. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we've heard stories of uh, Phantom platoons anyway and armies in Gettysburg. People see this yes. kind of stuff now and then. And in England, it does happen sometimes. Now, this, this army eventually fades away. Uh, the, uh, the taxi cab is, is fine, and they go on their way. And uh, now here's another one. Get, this is going to get weirder. A man named W.D. Doc Priestley is cruising along a two-lane near Marlington, West Virginia. This is, about, uh, this is in the 60s again. I don't remember the actual year. But all of a sudden... His car, which is in perfect running order, uh, stalls and, and cruises to a stop. He looks off to his left, and he sees a classic Bigfoot standing there. And his buddies, which are up ahead, they're in a, a hunting bus. They're, they're a bunch of hunters, and they're, they're going off to their uh, whatever. And uh, eventually, they realize that he's not behind them anymore. They turn around. They're coming back. The Bigfoot decides that he hears this vehicle coming back. Mm -hmm. He's going to recede back into the woods. He does. And Priestley is able to start his car again. So he takes off. He does not tell his buddies what he saw. And they're going along a little ways. I don't know how far. But all of a sudden, his car stalls again, cruises to a stop. 
it's it's kind of chugging and buffering and and the smoke is coming out of his uh his uh, trunk i mean his uh, hood and he looks over and there's either the same bigfoot or a kissing cousin is standing by the road and at this point his engine actually burns out and he can't operate his car anymore so the bigfoot goes away eventually his buddies come back and here's the funny thing he does not tell anybody for months later what happened because he wants to come back to that area and hunt and he figures <laughs> if he tells his buddies what he saw they're not going to come <laughs> back with him okay now there's there's a stan gordon uh in his stat silent invasion chronicles a couple cases where we can't prove it but the close proximity of a bigfoot a cryptid seems to be the reason that this the engine has stalled. Now, if you'll indulge me here, I want to give you my favorite vehicle stoppage of all time. Okay, mm -hmm. this took place somewhere in the late 1800s, early 1900s. This is chronicled by Elliot O'Donnell. Elliot O'Donnell wrote several great books on the paranormal. He essentially was a paranormal investigator back around the turn of that century. Well, he talks about in Ghostland. He talks about his his uncle, uh, uh, Mr. B, uh, who is cruising along. He's in a, a, a cart uh, with a single horse, and he's on a haunted road heading toward Limerick Island, Ireland. And his, uh, his servant, who's driving, his name is Dunkley. Now, look, <laughs> if you're going to make up a story about a something, <laughs> you're not going to use the name Dunkley. You're going to no. come up with something else. So maybe, maybe this is true. So they're cruising along this haunted road, and all of a sudden, the cart stops dead. And Mr. B turns around. It's been it's been a a a mellow night. The moon's almost full. It's a clear night, and he turns around and he sees Dunkley is in a state of distress. He is uh, he's sort of stunned, and the horse has stopped dead. He looks down and he sees these little shadowy, translucent figures swarming the cart. And he can't figure out what's going on. So mm -hmm. he turns around, he grabs the reins, breaks the spell, and gets the horse moving again. They get some distance away. Dunkley comes out of his stupor. And he asks him, what happened? What did you see? Well, in Dunkley's mind's eye, he saw a troop of dancing fairies. Now, supposedly the fairies, when you come upon them making merry, they don't like it at all. Right. So they, in he, again, from his perspective, they were storming the cart. They were climbing on the cart. They were trying to pull him off. So that's what these little translucent figures apparently were supposed to have been. And uh, so the thing, the interesting thing is that here's the story from way back. But we know so many cases of people that have experienced paranormal incidents from seeing UFOs to ghosts to whatever that don't share exactly the same experience. They see things differently. Well, that was pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, so and I, I give another example of Betty and Barney Hill, the classic uh, abduction case mm -hmm. of the early 60s. They did that while they had many, much of the experience was very similar. Uh, Barney was, was not uh, awake or his eyes weren't open the whole time. Betty was the whole time. She was, she was essentially given the aliens hell and not taking any of their crap. But Barney was was kind of uh, in a stupor or asleep part of the time. 
So that's kind of uh, interesting. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's my favorite uh, vehicle stoppage of all time with the the horse drawn carriage and, <laughs> and, and Dunkley at the helm. Poor Dunkley. <laughs> yes, poor Dunkley. <laughs> Darn. You know, I I always found that fascinating too when you hear abductions and stuff. Um, the spouse or the significant other is asleep the whole time. Yes, that's a, a great example of that. Yeah, and sometimes they know something happened, but it was like a dream to them. Well, a, a somebody I know, John Tini, mm-hmm. who's a very well-known person in the in Michigan, in the Detroit area, and he's been on several uh, different TV shows. He was in, in Royal Oak, downtown Royal Oak, which is a northern suburb of Detroit. And he saw this thing up in the sky. It's broad daylight. And he's <laughs> there's people on the street, and he's trying to get them to look up, and they're not interested. And then he looks over and he sees one woman uh, some distance away that's actually looking up and seeing this object in the sky. Mm-hmm. So here it's broad daylight. There's all these people out there. And there's only a couple of people that, for whatever reason, are attuned into this thing that's up there. And others are just either unaware or they can't see it. Right. And, you know, you wonder what does this, you know, what does this tell us about this bizarre phenomena and our perceptions of it? You know, and I, I don't know the answer. I mean, it's just uh, it's just fascinating. I think it's fascinating now nowadays because of social media and people being more open. It It's coming to the forefront where people are like wanting more answers and trying to understand. And so many people have experiences. And it's out there more. So people are more comfortable talking about it. But you always well, I, I, have that percent of people that are like, you guys are all crazy. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's just that, you know, there's there's so much there. I mean, it's not yeah. just the, uh, it's not just the surface stuff, but there is, is uh, um, can, I, can I tell you another one of my favorite uh, uh, UFO encounters? Ooh, absolutely. Okay. Are you familiar with Joe Symington and the cosmic pancakes from outer space? No. <laughs> okay. It sounds uh, amazing, Eagle, though. <laughs> Eagle River, Wisconsin. Okay. This is about 61. Uh, Joe Symington is a, uh, uh, well, he's a plumber by trade. Mm-hmm. He's a chicken farmer by day. He's got a farm out in the middle of nowhere in, in Eagle River. and Or is it Eagle Harbor? Okay. Well, anyway, we they can fact check me. Um, so he's uh, he's finishing up his late uh, breakfast dishes, and he hears this his description of it, it's like the knobby tires on a uh, pavement on a wet pavement. Uh-huh. And he looks out and he sees essentially a classic UFO or flying saucer, kind of the uh, you know the inverted plate on top yeah. of the other plate. And so, and, and a door is open, and he walks out and he sees inside. There are people in there, and it doesn't seem to be too threatening. Whatever this is, it's just hovering above the ground. Mm-hmm. And he gets close, and uh, there there are maybe four or five men in there, about five feet tall. They're wearing coveralls and dent caps. Uh, <laughs> one of them, <laughs> oh my. Uh, one of them appears to be cooking something on a flameless grill. Okay, okay. in this thing, and. Uh, Another one uh, hands him a a kind of a chrome bowl or chalice or whatever that looks like like the same color as the craft that they're in. 
And he he doesn't, there's not, no speech or telepathy. Uh, he kind of indicates he wants water. So Joe goes to his, uh, his well, gives him some water and brings it back and he hands it to him. In return, they give him uh, three or four, he calls them pancakes from this same frameless, uh, flameless grill. Okay. So, and then they, they take off. Oh now, <laughs> I mean, they, 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 there is a, a local judge there that interviews him. And there's even the uh, a Project Blue Book at the time. Dr. Heineck actually got involved with this case back at that, in those days. Uh-huh. And the funny thing is, everybody thinks that Joe is telling the truth. As, I mean, he, that he had a real experience in, as far as he's concerned. And everybody believes that Joe did not just make this up. He, he fell asleep and had a dream. Mm-hmm. Well, that might explain why the pancakes tasted so bad if he actually made them in his sleep. Now, the interesting thing is there's several, and this is really bizarre. Uh, the uh, the local judge there interviews him. He he knows uh, Joe, and he believes that Joe is truthful. And when he, when he interviews him, this is actually published in an old issue of Beyond Magazine. Mm-hmm. He says to him, he says, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek at first, he says, Joe, what do these guys look like? Little green men? And, and, and Joe says, no, Judge. They were kind of swarthy, like Italians. <laughs> Italians? So what do we have, a secret uh, space program in, uh, in uh, Naples? I, I don't know. So, awesome. no, it's, it's interesting. When uh, John Keel wrote a book called UFOs, Operation Trojan Horse, mm-hmm. that is a book that really changed my thinking. That's where Keel pulls together all kinds of different, seemingly different types of phenomena and makes the case that they are connected somehow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, John Keel, at the time, he uh, reported in that book that uh, a General Spatz, now he was a big-time general in World War II, he actually said during a press conference, there is no truth to the rumor the flying saucers are coming from Spain, or they are being driven by Spaniards. Uh, so what are we talking about? <laughs> so, but Keel had, had had gotten several reports from people that witnessed supposedly witnessed landings, and mm-hmm. the entities they talked about again before the Greys took over and so forth. A lot of them seemed to be fairly normal, human-like. Now, their their the descriptions weren't terribly sophisticated. They would say things like, well, they look kind of foreign uh, or they look kind of like a dark European type. OK, and uh, which uh, which kind of would fit, I guess, a swarthy Italian or maybe <laughs> with somebody from Spain. Uh, but uh, awesome. but uh, but also, if you want to go off on a tangent, some of the so-called men in black phenomena would also fit that that trend. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of interesting so uh and then there's there's other you know interesting aspects to follow the the water water gathering from uh you know uh there are other situations where people have seen supposedly seen ufos come over lakes and so forth Mm -hmm. and and take water up in hoses or or just kind of suck it up there was a very interesting case in the mid-50s uh long before joe symington where a couple of miners, uh, John Black and his, compart- uh, his, his companion, were in California, and they were uh, they kept seeing this bizarre UFO overhead every once in a while. But they, 
you know, they were they were miners. They had a job to do, and they figured, well, I don't know what it is, uh, uh, government or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at one point, John Black is in the woods. He sees this little guy uh, at a stream. He thinks first he thinks it's a kid fishing, mm-hmm. and then he looks a little a little closer. It is some guy in a suit. He actually has buckles on it, almost like a leprechaun, I <laughs> oh guess. <my> gosh. <laughs> and he's dipping up a bucket into the water, and he, he he goes out of the this grove of trees, and and then he walks up into this one of these crafts that they've been seeing for the last month with his bucket of water. So you know, I don't know what to make of of all this stuff, but these these patterns to me are, are just absolutely fascinating. So and and then here's here's the uh, here's the post sort of the postscript. So the Air Force decides they're going to take one of these pancakes from Joe and mm-hmm. analyze it. They think Joe is uh, didn't really have a real experience, but they're going to spend taxpayers' money by finding <laughs> out what's in these pancakes. <laughs> now here's an aside: we have to go to Jacques Vallée, uh-huh. a passport to Magonia. Uh, a lot of his book he talks about a man named uh, uh, Evans. Uh, Oh, Evans Wentz. He was a theosophist and he went through um, Ireland in the early, around the turn of the last century. And about and he, about 1911, he published a book called The Fairy Faith of Celtic Countries. Mm-hmm. And he, he went around talking to people about their experiences with the little people. And these were just the, the same way we go around talking to people about their UFO experience or Bigfoot experience right. or whatever. This wasn't just a story handed down from Uncle whatever ebenezer from three decades ago so uh, he talked to an irishman that told him that the fairies drink pure water they eat fresh meat and they never take salt so joe simington's uh, entities certainly wanted pure water and when the air force analyzed the pancakes Uh they were normal terrestrial pancakes except there was no sodium. Now that may not mean anything, but it certainly is interesting. That's very interesting. And it's it's really odd. Like when you hear about all these experiences, it they seem or whatever's going on, they seem to mask themselves as things. Or those things exist and we just don't understand them. Well, there's a lot of uh almost like deception or, mm-hmm. or tricksters type type uh, trickster type aspects to it. Um, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's very much, uh, it is very much like the red queen effect where yeah. you, know, you, you think you're getting a grasp on something and it, it, it's, it becomes so elusive, but there's something in there that is uh, just, you just can't let it go. Yeah. I mean, you just keep uh, researching more and finding but every once in a while, you know, I, I think we have made some progress. You know, back in the old days, back in the 1960s, I would have told you that, uh, well, UFOs are ET. And mm-hmm. uh, people that believe in ghosts and poltergeist phenomena are uh, are nuts. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't believe that anymore. Uh, and I, I never would have ever connected uh, cryptids with uh, UFO-type phenomena. You know? Right. Um, so... Um, but I, I, I do say I think there's certainly more than one answer to some of these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, there's not, not simply one uh, one perspective on all of this. Wow. And, you know, it's fascinating and kind of spooky at the same time. 
Yes, it is. It is very creepy. Um, and, uh, you know, the, you, you wonder, um, what's, what's behind it? What, uh, you know, you know, why, why, and why is it so elusive? Right. Why, uh, there, there's, you know, when you get into the, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch, for example, uh, all the bizarre incidents that are, are happening there. If you, if you isolate certain aspects of it, you could could imagine that well, this must be ET or something interdimensional or whatever. But if you if you look at the broad spectrum of the bizarre things that are going on there, from again poltergeist phenomena, people, you know, uh, uh, things disappearing, mm-hmm. um, uh, possession, uh, strange disembodied voices up in the sky, bizarre cryptids that uh, seem to appear and disappear. Um, man, I I just. Uh, you know, I've I've been I've been privileged to to go to uh, uh, I, I've spoken in in Elkhorn a couple times about that during the Beast of Bray Road conference. Mm-hmm. Well, I also got a chance to meet uh, Lee Hample. Lee Hample is a farmer who has a uh, farm adjacent to the the infamous Bray Road where mm-hmm. the dog band has been seen. Well, he has uh, over the last ten years he has chronicled with uh, with track cameras just bizarre phenomena going on all the time near his property there, there's some kind of a uh uh you know if you if you are privileged to be there he he'll he'll, he'll show you he'll give you a presentation for a couple hours of mm-hmm. what he is what he what he has and he keeps a lot of it kind of close to his vest which i understand but um he it, there's just some kind of bizarre technology going on around that farm um uh, strange things in the sky and on the ground, but also he gets these glimpses of these, uh, whatever they are, these dogmen. I mean, they, uh, the, the footprints begin in the middle of nowhere, they end nowhere. Sometimes one set will be going off and they'll split into two. Uh, the, the hair samples, there's no medulla. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so you have this bizarre technology going on, but also you have these creatures that seem to be just animals that eat roadkill and uh, bait. Right. Um, uh, he has seen them a couple times. He has experienced missing time on his farm. Um, and I, I talked to the uh, the Bucks County researchers. Uh, uh, they were out there uh, one night. And you can see their uh, video on uh, the Bucks County uh, oh, paranormal uh, YouTube website. And um, they were they were out there you can you can hear when you when you watch this you can hear these howls going off from different sides of the of the farm now mm-hmm. i'm no expert on on animals so i don't know what they're hearing but they also saw eyes shine about six feet off the ground and it's eric and dominic dominic is a, the sensitive and i asked dominic mm-hmm. he was on my show i have the the high strangest factor on the paranormal UK radio network. Mm-hmm. I asked Dominic, I said, what were you feeling out there? And he said, I felt like I was in underwater in a shark cage holding the bait. And uh, he, he was, they were all freaking out. So I, I don't know, you know, huh. I, 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 I've, I've gone off on some wild speculation wondering, you know, what is the purpose of these creatures? Are they there to yeah. kind of ward people off? Uh, with the uh, with what's going on there, the 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 photographs that uh, Hample has captured of some of this 
you know, like classic UFO looking objects and so forth, and these strange mists and so forth. Mm-hmm. It, it is just mind boggling. And, and uh, he has tried to get uh, universities and uh, and scientists in, involved. He's got a virtual laboratory right there on his farm of this type of phenomena, and people don't seem to be interested. And wow. that is really frustrating. I'm interested. <laughs> Very interested. <laughs> You know, it's a really odd thing when I talk to people about Dogman. They chase cars. Uh, they think they migrate. They go from place to place. What do you feel about that? Do you think they actually migrate or do you think they just stay in one place? I I, I think there must be some very high strangeness or paranormal aspect mm-hmm. to these things. I, I can't, uh, so many of these creatures, I don't think they're simply flesh and blood creatures that, uh, that, that somehow are elusive and stay hidden and migrate. I, I don't know. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like John Keel's window areas mm-hmm. where they kind of show up out of nowhere, wherever that is. And, and they, they leave their footprints. They eat, sometimes they act like animals and eat animals and roadkill. And then they're, they kind of melt away. So it's just so hard when I, I think of these giant thunderbirds, uh, dogmen, Bigfoot, and so forth. There, there just should be a body now and then. There should be somebody hitting it with their car now right. and then. And when, you, and when you hear the testimony of them being shot point blank sometimes and the bullet whizzing through or them disappearing in a flash of light, that there was a uh, Linda Godfrey in uh, Monsters Among Us talked about a uh, someone who was driving uh, driving along. Oh God, maybe in Pennsylvania, Route mm-hmm. 80 something or other. He's cruising along the two lane, and he looks in, into the woods up onto his right, and he sees this light moving along through the trees, and he figures it's some idiot at night on a four wheeler, <laughs> and he's gonna crash down onto the road if he's not careful so he slows down and this light continues down and then when it hits the road it morphs into a dog man the thing spans the road and and two or three uh, 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 footsteps and it's gone so uh, you know sometimes people see these things uh, it's interesting there is a uh, a great researcher Paul Devereux has written all kinds of things on on earth lights and earth energies and so forth. And uh, the uh, earth light phenomena, or it's it's earth light is in the title. He talks about, he he coins a term he calls proto entities. Mm -hmm. And proto entities are where the, the, uh, the craft or the, whatever the light uh, seems to be inseparable from the entity. So he gives several examples of that. There was there was one in the 1800s on the Isle of Skye where the, the man is looking at this light coming in from the ocean, and it comes up to the shore. And then it morphs all of a sudden into a woman holding a child, and it mm-hmm. walks off to the left and then disappears. Mm-hmm. There was, a, was a one in Queensland, Australia, where a group of people see this, this light and this park area, and it... Uh, uh, it morphs and it coalesces. Uh, the inside of it coalesces into some kind of a a being, a small entity, and um, and then even there's even kind of a Mothman-like sighting 
And um, almost three years to the day, the scarberries and the mallets were chased by the Mothman. This is three years earlier in Kent, England. And there was a group of, of students, of kids coming back from a dance. Mm-hmm. And they see this light come down behind a grove of trees. And they, uh, um, and then uh, they see a light manifest again. And it seems to morph into a this creature, which actually sounds very much like the original Mothman. It kind of, it has so wings. It kind of, it, it, they called it headless, but the original Mothman, it, it's like its head was almost sunken down in it and they wow. couldn't see it. And this thing shuffled along like they, that Mothman. Now there were no red glowing eyes, but other otherwise it was sort of the. It's one of the only sightings that was very similar to the mm-hmm. Mothman. We we get all kinds of reports of winged entities, uh, either real or imagined, that they dubbed you know Mothman, but don't seem to be necessarily. So that's that I find interesting that uh, sometimes these orbs or lights whatever seem to morph into something else uh when they're experienced by people wow I, it's just so fascinating oh my goodness it is so tell people about the show you have steve well i it's it's the highest oh, you're involved and uh andy mercer and i uh andy is uh the producer and he's a a Brit from across the pond, uh-huh. and uh, he and I uh, have done the highest ranges factor on the Paranormal UK radio network for uh, well, it's been about four years now, and we were have been on hiatus for a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a whole backlog of uh, shows of talk to all kinds of people, and I do have a certain perspective. I'm I'm definitely a Keelian, and I come from that perspective. But uh, we have we've have had people on with with just all you know. Uh, people that uh, are contactees, mm-hmm. uh, uh, people that are more interested in psychic phenomena and so forth. We just had Cheryl Lynn Carter on, who has written a couple of books on the Skinwalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's had done a lot of great research there. So um, you, you'll find a whole backlog of shows on all kinds of different phenomena. And, uh, you know, you and I share the same kind of fascination for this thing. And I yes. think that people will enjoy going back into the the uh, the archives and checking out some of our shows. Now, where do people get to hear this show? It, it is the, uh, if they check on the Paranormal UK Radio Network, it is uh, Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Mm-hmm. But I believe there's several other platforms there. If you just, if you type in High Strangeness Factor, Steve Ward and so forth, uh, you'll find uh, a bunch of uh, shows. Awesome. I'm going to look forward to hearing those. I love stuff like that. So, Steve, I would love to have you back on some point. You are a joy to talk to, and I really enjoyed this interview. Well, well, thank you. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of an old guy. I'm a little long in the tooth, so I've been at this <laughs> for a long time, and I, I am endlessly fascinated by, uh, by so many things and. Uh, so yeah, I would love to come back. This has been a, a great uh, conversation. Yes, thank you so much for taking your time, and I hope your plumbing gets better. <laughs> oh man, I've, I've got I've got guests coming in a couple of days, so let's uh, keep our fingers crossed. I will, and it it will go smoothly. I, I want that to happen for you. <laughs> thank you so much. You have a wonderful evening, and thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a great. Thank you. Bye bye. Good night.